Hello listeners and welcome to today's episode of Blind Insights. I'm very excited today because our guest is an expert, well I would even say a world leading expert in the area I'm back studying at university. So big thing I've learned over the last year studying strategic communication, doesn't matter how good your product or your idea is if you can't effectively communicate it to people. And as I realized that it's at least as important to be able to communicate your idea as it is to develop a good idea, I came across a book in Audible called The World's Best Buyer Persona System. And I thought, what an odd title for a book. And I thought, but it matches with exactly what I'm studying. And then I bought this audiobook by Stormy Andrews and listened to it twice in one day and went, wow, this has been more useful than half of what I've learned in the first year of my master's. Now, for those of you who are not into strategic communications or into marketing, why should you keep listening today? You should keep listening today because you want to be heard, you want to be understood, and you want your message to be appreciated. And the best way to do that is to understand your audience and how to talk to them. So today on Blind Insights, you will get a very deep insight in how to understand your audience and how to effectively communicate with them. The ultimate hidden truth of the world is that it is something that we make and could just as easily make differently. David Graeber, 1961 to 2020. Welcome to Blind Insights. I'm joined today by David Orney. How are you, David? Very good. I've already had my medium-sized pink coffee, my first one in two weeks, which is very important. Amazing. Well, we haven't even seen each other up until this, this point this year, so Happy New Year as well. well. Happy New It's truly weird. It's like five weeks of no Tim time. Yeah. I'm confused. <laughs> it was a bit strange. We're also joined by an esteemed guest. Thank you very much for joining us, Stormy Andrews. Awesome. Thanks for having me here with you. And Stormy, just so you know, you have a very cool voice. Mm. <laughs> Thank you. Even the laugh is awesome. Yeah, I was about to say the laugh has kind of got a good timbre to it. Yep. <laughs> One of those laughs just calms you down, makes you relaxed. I'm the host. I'm meant to be relaxed. But because this stuff is so relevant to what I'm learning and what I'm interested in, I'm actually more nervous than usual because like, oh, I've got 170 million questions, all of which aren't going to fit. Uh-oh, uh the pressure's on now. No, 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 because most of them I'll forget. That's okay. That's the thing about being a bit nervous. Now, Great place, I think, to start today, Stormy, is at the beginning of your book, there's a wonderful story you tell about where you're working in an electronics store and a customer comes in wanting to buy a camera and about the importance of understanding your audience. Would you like to run us through this amazing little story? Absolutely. So I'm going to take you back to 1993. I had just moved to Las Vegas and I, I have a job at a company called Circuit City where we sold consumer electronics. And I haven't been on the job that long. Um, you know, I just moved here. And on this particular Saturday, a gentleman bolts into the store, into the camcorder department, and that's where I happen to be, the salesperson, putting up displays and cleaning things up, waiting for the first person to walk into the store. And this gentleman happens to be a very proud neo-Nazi, so proud, uh, that every time he would make a statement that was so profound, he would stomp his feet, 
throw a Hell Hitler sign in the air and then just continue with his conversation. It was a, it, it seemed to be part of his personality. I don't know if it was just something that he was doing intentional or maybe he, he did it so much, it was just a natural tick. But I happened to be the salesperson that was there and, and he's talking to me and, we have, and we're having a conversation and he's excited, extremely excited about buying this camcorder. You see that evening they were having a world-renowned neo-Nazi coming in to speak to him and his group and other people that were coming in to listen to this person who had some incredible ideas about fascism and, and neo-Nazism. <laughs> and uh, he was excited about getting the camcorder and recording this particular event. And throughout the conversation, because we're going through a lot of the different cam camcorders, but throughout the sales presentation, he's asking me about this camera and that and, and another camera, and he's telling me more about the presenter. He's telling me more about his ideology. And I'm a professional salesperson. I'm listening to him share his message. And he starts to share with me everything that he's for that I happen to be against. You see, as a neo-Nazi, he's against anyone that wasn't of pure blood European uh, descent. I happen to be a guy, for those of you that if you see my video, you may not realize what nationality I am. I'm fairly light skinned and uh, I get confused. Uh, I've been confused for virtually every nationality there is, uh, it, sometimes with the exception of what I actually happen to be. And I happen to be a black guy that just happens to look more like a white guy. So we have this neo-Nazi recruiting me to attend the neo-Nazi rally that evening to listen to some incredible ideas in regards to uh, what makes me less of a human and, and everything that I stand for. So he's doing his sales pitch. He doesn't understand his audience, but he's selling me and he's doing his best to get me to attend as, as his personal guest. And as he's sharing everything with me, he's, uh, you know, as I mentioned earlier, he's against in our interracial relationships at the time, my ex-wife, but who I was married to at the time happened to be Hispanic. And, and, uh, so he was against her. I have a nephew that I love dearly who happens to be gay and he's against uh, gay individuals. He's striking out in all corners. And as a professional, I had a couple of choices. I could have either kicked him out the store or I could have had fun with the situation. And that's what I decided to do to, to bring this story to a close and to shorten up the story. Basically, what he left the store with that day was a camcorder that was not going to get the job done. You see, he had mentioned that the event was going to be happening in the evening. He wanted a small camcorder that filmed in low light that had great audio quality. And when he left the store that day, he had a camcorder that performed very poorly at low light, had very, very bad audio quality. So it's my hope that he spent his time recording this event and ended up with something that was not usable and not usable at all. So that was my way of slowing down him spreading his message of hate. But, but going back to that story where his greatest mistake was he didn't understand his audience. He was pitching to a person uh, that he, even though he was so excited about what he was going to do that evening, uh, there was no chance getting me on board. 
Yeah, and that's the power of this story, and it's such a wonderful way to start the book. Because, of course, after seeing or hearing the title on Audible, I even talk like a sighted person, it's really weird. Um, After even hearing the title and then diving into the book and this story, starting it, when you get to that end of that story and you realise, hang on, the whole point is when you're so excited about what you think is amazing, you think everyone already understands the page you're on, the topic you're talking about, and will more than likely agree with you and more than likely share your enthusiasm. And I'd have to say almost all of the people I've met who failed in small business have all functioned exactly that way. All of the academics I've taught with over the years who get super excited about ideas but never work out why no one in power listens do the same thing. They constantly make this mistake that everyone understands the same things in the same way and shares the same enthusiasm. Absolutely. And that's a huge mistake. You know, one of the elements that people, they they just don't put in a proper perspective is that I have my own model of the world, just as you do, just as each listener of this podcast has. And, and what do I mean by models of the world? Well, if we were to take every life experience that you've had and combine that with your education and combine that with your belief systems, you're going to have this unique model, your unique visualization of the world. And all too often, what leaders and, and business owners and people who don't, who aren't effective at getting their message across it's because they're creating a message. They're creating a narrative that's very complementary to their own model of the world, the way that they see the world. And unfortunately, oftentimes it's not compatible with the way that others see it. That's just another way of saying exactly what you said, David. And that's the big mistake. And that's one of the reasons that I wrote the book. Yeah. I saw marketers making and an, uh, just, just incredible mistakes as it pertained to creating their messaging. And I like to say to people, Who's your audience? If your mom is your audience, then great. Stick with the messaging because she loves whatever you have to say. But if your mom isn't your audience, then you better figure out who they are and more importantly, how they think. Yeah. And from Tim and my experience here, we've hosted a few events and done interviews at a few conferences for the Sustainable Prosperity Action Group who are very interested in modern monetary theory and social justice and a federal job guarantee and all these ideas that could transform the world. And they're very good at framing everything to talk to each other or someone who has already decided to come to an event. But like so many activist groups, which is another group where this is very much true, if you're speaking to someone who already gets the point, you're missing the point that everyone else needs to get your point, but you have to communicate to them in a way that they understand. On that basis, like the day you talk to this neo-Nazi guy, Was that sort of the day you began to start thinking differently, going, hang on, what just happened? Like, did that conversation... Okay, obviously you had a big giggle and a smile for a few weeks about selling him the worst camera in the history of cameras, and we're all very proud of you for that. But was that sort of the seed that moved you down the path from sales more towards marketing and communications, or did it all happen much later? It actually happened much sooner. And let me dive into that for just a moment. As a child, my dad had a job with the government. He worked for the United States government, and it required lots of moving. And uh, here in the United States, we attend school from kindergarten through 12th grade. 
And it wasn't until my 11th grade year in school of, of school that I realized what it was like to attend the same school two years in a row. There were some school you, school years where I may have attended two different schools in two different states or three different schools in three different states. There was lots of moving. And every time we moved, I had this opportunity to reinvent myself and not just reinvent myself, but I had to reacclimate myself to the community that we moved into. You see, sometimes uh, as we moved, some of the communities we moved into having a good education is what was valued. Other communities we moved into being tough is what was valued. So there was a wide variety of communities that we moved into, wide range of socioeconomic conditions. And, and, and some communities were predominantly white, some predominantly black, some predominantly this religion or that religion. So as we moved around and as a kid, um, I had to figure out who my audience was. I didn't realize that I, I was not conscious of this fact, but I wanted to play with the kids in the neighborhood, whoever the kids were. And if I brought certain mannerisms from one community to the next, it didn't work out too well for me. And I learned that pretty early on in life. Uh, when I moved from the inner city to a, to the suburbs, the inner city mannerisms didn't work. And when I've moved from the suburbs to a, 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 another tough community, well, some of the suburb mannerisms didn't work out too well for me. So I had this ability through practice and trial and error to really, um, work on getting into rapport with my audience very quickly, um, under, and where I had to spend more time and attention to who I was speaking with and, and how, how they wanted to be communicated to. And if I got it wrong, it didn't work out too well. So it was just a series of lots of practice throughout my younger years. And, and then as I started school, or, or, or you know, once, once I graduated high school and I started studying uh, in college, that's when I started to realize that there was something a little bit different about my upbringing. And that's what I, where I started to getting into, I, I wanted to know why I was able to communicate with a wide range of people from a wide variety of backgrounds and, and not only be able to communicate, but get into rapport and have friends from a wide range of, of, of people from a wide, a very diverse audience. It was that that led me on the path. It was having a, a very successful sales career. And I attribute that sales career to the training that I had as a youngster, being able to get in rapport with people relatively quickly. And just that path and that's the, the discovery of wanting to find out the why is ultimately what led me into marketing, what led me into creating the world's best buyer persona system. Yeah, I don't know if I explained that correctly. No, you explained did, did it really well. that come out well. clearly? Yeah, really clearly. Yeah, it, it's interesting in a sense. I did a very small version of the same thing, being blind and often needing someone's help. It was, okay, how do you learn to interact with people to get them on site? So how do you act in the most neutral way until you can get information which I then sort of carried over into teaching at university and I'm now sort of carrying on into strategic communications and that is you know, get the conversation started in the most neutral way possible and then just absorb what the person is about, what interests them, where they're going and then find a way to go, well, where's the overlap in our Venn diagram? Where's our little bit of common ground we can work with? And it's amazing working out finally what you've done for a lifetime that there's a way to explain it. You know, there's a way to write it down. 
how long did it take to start developing you know the system as a whole and and getting it into a book because it's so nuanced and it's so detailed you know listeners if you wanted to follow through stormy's book and anyone in small business definitely should and should do all the exercises there are multiple steps and a lot of effort required to do a good job but at the end of it you will know what you know you'll know what you need to learn you will be able to update constantly how you understand and interact with your audience how many years did it take stormy to get from sort of knowing how to function in a sales and marketing space to knowing how to explain this to other people wow <laughs> and that's a great question and i'm going to take us back to 2007. so in 2007 is is really where well, actually prior to 2007 i'll get to 2007 in just a moment the um, and around 2005 or 2006, excuse me, I was invited to um, uh, write my thoughts as it pertained to effective communication techniques in a book called The Power of the Platform. And uh, it, it's right around that time I started a business where I started a sales training and a sales consulting business. That's when people used to meet belly to belly, face to face. I had this successful sales career. I wanted to train other people how to become effective salespeople. And um, then as the world started to go digital, I started to realize that, well, eventually these salespeople, which, which historically had the power because they held all the information. Well, I saw the internet changing things where salespeople weren't going to be um, uh, as important moving into the future as they were once in the path. And I, and I saw that the new salespeople were going to be these digital employees, websites. Uh, why shouldn't a website be, you know, the most effective employee within an organization? And I saw this trend happening and, and it has happened where a good website should be a company's most effective salesperson but there was a disconnect. They had the ability of becoming a great salesperson, but they weren't trained properly. They didn't have the messaging that the consumers were looking for. So when I started Yoko Local back in 2010, that's when I really started to realize that the messaging within these digital assets were lousy. They just weren't connecting with people. There was lots of logic. There was no effort to connect with people emotionally. And I realized when I was in the world of sales, when I was teaching salespeople how to sell more effectively, it was about getting into rapport with people, listening to them, figuring out their pain points, their issues, their struggles. So this way you can create a solution that's best designed and fit for them. Websites and these digital assets weren't doing that. They just put a lot of information and logic, you know, on the pages. And I had wondered, what if a website could do this? What if a website could communicate more effectively? What would that look like? So back in 2010 is when I started down the process of building out the first versions of the world's best buyer persona system. And then we, um, uh, you know, myself and, and various uh, team members that had come through my company, I would share with them this vision, this vision that I had in regards to making digital assets digital employees, better communicators, and I would get their input. And fortunately, I was in a position at Yoko Local to where we were able to implement the various strategies over the years across a wide variety of websites, 
thousands of websites. And we would test and monitor and see what worked and what didn't work. And um, the final version, the version that's published in the world's best buyer persona system, wasn't completed until 2018. So it was about an eight year process when I first headed down the path to create the system to the time it was ultimately completed. Yeah, which Just over eight years. Is, which is a, a huge amount of time. But the wonderful thing with that is, and again, listeners, if you go away and listen to the book or you buy the physical book and read the physical book, it's a relatively short book but absolutely crammed with here's an exercise you need to do and here's why to understand your audience and communicate with them effectively. And you'll spend more time actually doing the exercises than reading the book which is kind of the point of the book. The book is to get you started on solving your problem. So the, the wonderful thing with the way Stormy's written it is he's got so much experience of helping people to make sure people understand their product and can find a way to connect with their product that the book is very much the same. It's not about Stormy in the same way that these uh, sort of websites historically aren't really about the company. It's actually about, well, what do you need to know? You're the client. You're the one reading the book. You're the one who's interested. What do you need to know? What do you need to do next? What do you want to achieve? And this shift in focus that you know, Stormy has worked on and described and talked about is such an important one because even last year studying strategic communication, the bits of marketing that were in it were still essentially assuming that a salesperson is in a very significant position and probably knows more and does understand their audience when in reality all the work Stormy's done and all the work with sort of within the inbound marketing world has shown that the average person now picks up their phone or their laptop and goes away and does their own research and what they want to see is answers to their questions. What they want to read is how do we get rid of my pain point? How do we achieve my desire? They don't want someone telling them about the whistles and bells of a product or service, when in reality, those whistles and bells aren't getting rid of a pain point or fulfilling a desire. You know, Stormy, when you start talking to clients who've had marketing you know, services before and you start talking about pain points and desires, what's the normal facial expression you get? Initially, you know, oftentimes I'm met with skepticism until we're able to take that conversation and put them in the picture, turn it into a relatable event, mm -hmm. an event that they experienced. Whether that event was them buying a car, a nice piece of jewelry, a house, whatever it may be, once I'm able to have them share with me an experience that they've gone through, and then we talk about their experiences, and then I let them answer the question, because as it pertains to their products, why would their customers be any different when they're purchasing their products? Mm -hmm. It's, it's a as lot opposed like teaching. to their experience when they bought products in the past. Yeah, it's a and lot then like that's when they get it. You know, guide people into the path where they're reflecting on their own experience and they start to empathize that actually everyone's different, but the process is pretty much the same. It's always personal Correct. and it's always got to be about fulfilling something reasonably deep. Or why would you be spending money or thinking about spending money? Money is too hard to get. You know, lots of people might spend it frivolously, but in the main... Most people think long and hard and do the research. As you've developed the system, you know, a lot of what you've done has happened in parallel with the inbound marketing movement. Were you aware of them like early on or were you literally there alongside with them meeting at conferences and going, hey guys, I'm doing this, what are you doing? Was it very much 
uh, parallel development or constantly bumping into each other and sharing stuff? Or how have you related to sort of that broader movement over the years? You know, it's interesting. One of the leaders in the world of inbound marketing is is HubSpot. They've done a great mm. job in regards to being one of the leaders in that space. And when I originally uh, went down this path, I had never heard of HubSpot. I didn't hear of inbound marketing. This was um, my path. And uh, but you hit the nail right on the head. Once I discovered inbound marketing, and this is probably in 2015, I saw how inbound marketing and the world's best buyer persona system were a natural fit. Mm. And uh, it was just, but but I was unaware of inbound marketing until 2015. Yeah, and I think that's because, you know, once I read your book and we spoke, it was a case of going, hang on, this has opened up this big door, but I don't know what else is behind the door. So I actually right. think I just went to a, I don't know whether it was Amazon or Audible, and went, okay, people who are buying Stormy's book, what else are they buying? And then went down a one-month deep dive into inbound marketing and kind of went, oh, Interesting that I'm half the way through a master's of strategic communications, got one year left, and at no point in the two years will we cover inbound marketing. Hmm. Wow. That is amazing. <laughs> and, and just to share that with you, when I discovered HubSpot, we became a HubSpot partner. Now we're uh, the largest HubSpot partner located within the state of Nevada. Wow. And because of that 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 synergistic approach to, to mm. marketing. They, they work hand in hand. Listeners, just to, again, I'm getting interested in what I'm interested in, but to give you a bit more context, the underlying premise of inbound marketing is that people sit down and want to learn what they want to learn to solve a pain point or to fulfill a desire. They do their research. They make their decision. That the more you just give them answers to their questions and treat them with respect and care, the more likely they are to purchase your product and service because you know you just gave them answers you didn't do a hardcore sales pitch and there's multiple good books on this and they're really good they get you to get the idea but the critical thing about stormy's book is stormy book says okay you know maybe you know about inbound maybe you don't but you really 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 need to know how to understand your audience and how to craft your message so that your audience will get to your website and go, right, I get that. That's answering my question. And it's got the right emotions and it's got the right major fears you know, considered like, you know, are you afraid of over-investing? Are you afraid in waiting too long? You know, are you afraid in picking the wrong thing? Whatever's relevant, you have to, in a sense, preempt the concerns of your future you know, client or in the terms of sort of a social movement or an environmental movement, if you want to get someone else on board with your group, they need to know up front why being involved with your group is a good thing, how it's going to have a positive impact, how it's going to change the world, how it's going to influence politics, how it's going to recruit other people, how its ethical standards of behaviour work. You know, the message they can read for themselves, but the organisation or the product that's the thing they really want to know about. And that's where this ability of getting deeply into who are your audience, what are they feeling, what do they want to know, is so important. How many personas, Stormy, do you think the average business should build up? Like how many you know, important customer groups would an average company normally have? I really don't know if there's an average, but I would say that most companies where we're involved in regards to building personas. There, there's a scenario to where they're going to, most companies have three to five yeah. that they yeah. really focus on. 
And but but obviously there are some organizations that have significantly more and other organizations. They, they basically have one or two personas. Yeah. But the vast majority of the companies that I've personally been involved with have been three to five personas that they're actively targeting at any given time. Now, with that being said, sometimes the motivations of your personas change when, you know, when when the pandemic hit what may have been the driving motivators of your ideal customers may have changed. The world had shifted. Hmm. So is it likely that the, the motivations of your customers have shifted? Absolutely. Hmm. Is it likely that some of their pain points and, um, or their triggering events have shifted? Absolutely. So it's always a good idea as it pertains to your personas is revisit your personas as often as necessary. And what I mean by that is if there's been a significant change to your industry or the market, revisit your personas Mm. because you may have to tweak them based on your customers. If there's been a dramatic change or shift within uh, the, the, you know, geopolitics and the economy, those are great opportunities for you to go back in and visit your personas to see if your personas have been affected by these outside events. So you can change your messaging sometimes ever so slightly or the benefit of your customer. Mm. And the big thing here, listeners, is to keep in mind, a lot of this is make sure you capture good data. Yeah, Don't Absolutely. just know your audience, but make sure you capture good data. And a, a big thing from talking to Stormy before we did the podcast and reading the book is just how data-driven this eight years of development was. You know, there's lots of good ideas out in the world of communications and marketing, and a lot of them are very persuasive you know, because of beautiful writing. But not a lot of them stand up when it comes down to the quality of the data behind them. And one of the great advantages of inbound marketing and Stormy's work on biopersonas is it's backed by tons of data. And it's really interesting, you know, here in little old Adelaide, where marketing is reasonably sophisticated, I'm yet to encounter anyone who seems to understand inbound or has heard of Stormy, thus the reason for doing the podcast mm. today. Because, all right, we're a little city. We're not the centre of Australia. We're not Sydney. We're not Melbourne. But the point is, our population are just as sophisticated as people everywhere else. Yeah, They've been locked in their homes for two years. They've spent way too much time in front of screens. And if we look at how people are spending money, you can't spend money on experience at the moment. So you spend money on having boxes delivered, whether they contain pizzas, furniture or new gadgets. We are all endlessly still, and all right, it's starting to get a bit better, you know, online looking to entertain ourselves and spend money. And there's been opportunities here for switched on companies across the world to do infinitely better. And what I really started to see as I you know, started to understand what, Stormy had worked on understanding about marketing more is the companies that were getting this right, the organizations that were getting this right are doing stunningly well. Absolutely. And here's what it comes down to. You know, one of the easiest explanations that I can give in regards to why you should be doing this. As I shared with you early as a youngster, when we moved from community to community, my goal my desire was to get the kids in the new community to know, like, and trust me as quickly as possible. Hmm. That's really what it came down to. I couldn't get them to know, like, and trust me if I was there just continuously blabbing about myself. Hmm. I wanted to find out more about them. 
and it worked out well as we moved from community to community. I got into rapport very, very quickly because I had a goal for them to know, like, and trust me. Mm. Then when I moved into the world of sales, it was the same thing. When clients, when I'm dealing with potential customers or prospects, once they got a chance to know, like, and trust me, the sales process became very easy Mm. and it worked out well for me. Well, then it came to the brand of, of, of the company, the, the, the faster and the more efficient you are at getting strangers to know, like, and trust you, that gives you an unfair advantage in the marketplace. And the only way you're going to get strangers to know, like, and trust you is if you've spent a reasonable amount of time to get to know who they are, mm. what makes them tick. If you haven't done that, how in the world can you expect them to know, like, and trust you? That's how you get this advantage of delivering the right message to the right person at the right time within an inbound framework, mm. because it's about them. It's not about you. Mm. And that's really what this comes down to. Mm. Tim, did you have a question? Yeah. Look, Stormy, I'm not exactly sure what persona you would describe me as, but I was thinking as we've been having this conversation about how when I look for things to buy, I am often doing most of my own research and how effectively the question that I'm trying to get answered is something along the lines of what is the best version of this laptop or microphone or uh, whatever it is, even kitchen appliances kind of thing that I could get. And if I don't like the price of it, what's going to get me 80% of the way there for 20% of the cost? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and so I, it's not the kind of thing I imagine that people plaster all over their website because those kinds of statistics in 2022 kind of leave a bad taste in the mouth, you know, referencing or putting graphs up that sort of you know reference the competition. So I, I guess if that were my pain point, one, I guess maybe how would you describe me if that's maybe not even really what I'm trying to answer? You might be able to psychoanalyze that. But 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 two, how do you kind of get around answering my question without necessarily kind of lying or yeah, being... No, absolutely. Well, let's, you know, let's use Apple as an example, mm. which is the opposite of who you just described, mm. right? Um. But Apple has done a phenomenal job. If we think of a company in the world of, of computers, have done an incredible job in regards to catering to their persona. Mm-hmm. Is Apple trying to be the um, the low price leader in the marketplace? No. Are they Absolutely. trying to give you 80% Absolutely at 20% of the price? Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not, right? Apple is for the person who's looking for value and quality and sleekness and prestige and whatever, you know, that, that, that is associated with it. And they've done a very, very good job in regards to catering to their persona. Mm. Is that a fair statement? Mm. Yeah, definitely. And now if we look at who the, you you know, and there are brands out there that says we will give you 80% of the value for 20% of the price, which are going to be more of your value priced PCs. Mm. You know, maybe that's the market of, 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 of Chromebooks or, mm. uh, you know, a few years ago, I've been out of the PC space. I'm an Apple guy, but mm. in the PC space, I remember uh, a few of the brands that used to cater to the, the, the particular market you just mentioned was like, a, you know, some of the off brands that had recognizable names, let's say Acer, you yeah. know, I remember Acer had, you know, advertising. I remember an advertising campaign that they had that was all about price, 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 price. We're going to give you mm. this, processor it's not quite the intel processor or the amd processor it was Mm. some off-brand processor that's designed to be almost as good Mm. but 
for a lot less money. And the resolution of our monitor is almost there. Mm. But if that's not important to you, it was for the value-priced consumer. So when we think about that in your particular scenario, understanding your audience is key because there have been scenarios where brands, I don't think Acer is one of them, but there have been brands that have wanted to change the market segment that they wanted to go after by changing the product, but they really didn't do a good job of changing their messaging. Mm. So they had this mismatch of yeah, messaging. Mismatch, like we have and this, product. And, yeah. and, and that's where a problem comes in. Did I answer? Yes, did you I, did. I yeah. give any clarity to your question? I, I think, yeah, I think you did. It's, it, uh, I think it becomes very easily complicated when there are so many options. It's mm. still difficult to verify mm. what kind of thing best suits your But I can give needs, you a good but... example for knowing you for the number of years I have. Yes. Your default website for buying anything to do with the studio or sound yeah. is Swamp Industries. Yeah, that's right. And why? Because their website is laid out very clearly. Yes. They reinforce value. Mm-hmm. They keep the best quality for value products and their curation of their products is very good. Yeah, They put a real emphasis on making sure the reviews are easy to see mm-hmm. so that it's the other reviews on the website from other people like totally. you that make the point, this is incredibly good. It may not be like the thing that's five times as dear, but it's incredibly good for the money. So the reality is Swamp here in Australia yeah. are almost the perfect inbound website yes in the product area you are talking actually 100 percent. they uh, just as you said that no it you've all, had the penny it, drop it, absolutely yeah. yeah so if we take the conversation we had from me from artist guitars and you know for your benefit stormy artist guitars here in australia is a, a guy in sydney who wanted to set up his own musical instrument company and has things made overseas but there are no middle people there are no dealers it's made it comes straight to the warehouse in sydney or in london and go straight to you so the savings are huge and he doesn't promise to make the best things in the world he promises to make the best value instruments in the world and he absolutely delivers and again the minute you find that website either that resonates with you because the message is so true you know exactly who ian is who artist guitars are it's easy to trust them and if you like value for money and you don't want the ego of a custom shop ibanez you're a very happy camper you know, to the point where the same way that Tim looks at Swamp Industries every morning for the bargain of the day, <laughs> I look at Artist Guitars every day to see if he, you know, Ian's got any new products, as if I need any more guitars. This is the point where I get sad and go, of course I need new guitars. <laughs> now, it, and here's an interesting case from the book too, Stormy, I think, anyway, where you had been a Lexus guy for so many years and suddenly your experience of you know, going and getting a chance to drive a Tesla and just the turnaround in the experience and the way you were treated. Would you like to share that as a great example of a company very quickly sorting out that this is what we're about and this is why you can trust us? Absolutely. So like you stated, I was a Lexus guy. Prior to being a Lexus guy, I was a Toyota guy. And I'm a guy who likes good products with very little maintenance. And I thought I was going to drive a Lexus until the day I died. And my, the last Lexus I had was a Lexus LS460L. That was their best luxury sedan, had all the features in the world. And then one day a buddy of mine comes by my office and he had the Tesla Model 3. And he said, Stormy, I just bought a Tesla. Let's go for a ride. I'm like, great, let's check out your new little car. 
I get in the car <laughs> and it's extremely exceptionally clean. I think about my Lexus with these buttons and gadgets and things everywhere in his Tesla. There was just an, a, a screen sitting in the middle of the console. He's showing me all the, the gadgets on the screen. And I w- was thoroughly impressed in regards to how clean the interior was. And then he proceeds to drive me around the corner. And he had a Model 3 with the Performance Edition. So this car does 0 to 60 in 3 seconds, and he punches it. And I'm sitting there slapping him on his shoulder saying, slow down, slow down. This is crazy. This is the most incredible, fastest car I've ever been in in my life. He let me drive it, and I was blown away. I was so impressed by that particular vehicle. And I've been in every vehicle from, or not every vehicle, but I've been in every manufacturer's car made, whether it's Porsche, Mercedes, BMW, every brand I've ridden in them. And I would always compare them to my Lexus. I felt that, okay, you know what? They have this advantage over the Lexus, but the Lexus had many, many more advantages. That was my opinion. But when I got in the Tesla, I felt something totally different. Almost instantaneously, I looked back at my Lexus and I felt that my Lexus was horse and buggy technology as compared to this futuristic rocket ship that I just got in. I was so impressed that that evening I called the Tesla dealership that was here in Las Vegas. And I'm like, Hey, I want to check out one of these cars. What I want to take one for a test drive because my friend had told me the way they let you take it for a test drive is they just give you the car and they tell you to take it home overnight and you bring it back the next day. I was blown away. Who does that? I met them that very night, the day that my friend drove me in his Model 3 Performance. I went to the Tesla dealership. They let me take a Model 3 Performance home, and I ordered the Model 3 Performance, the same car that he had except a different color. I ordered it the next day, and I was able to do it from my app without the salespeople, without the sales pressure. I I just had to give $2,500 on my credit card. Two weeks later, my car arrived. They kept the Lexus. The process was flawless, and... What Tesla had done was they were, uh, they're a company, I believe, that's disrupting the automotive automotive industry. They didn't say, let's build another car and compete with the other cars. They built something totally different, radically different than any other car I've ever built in, uh, that I've ever driven in. And it's a car that requires very little maintenance and energy, and it's a fun car to drive. I still love driving it today, and I've had it now for three years. And I now I can never see myself driving anything other than a Tesla it is someone who was innovating where, where Lexus wasn't. Lexus seemed to be resting upon their laurels. And the, the Lexus that I had, my most recent Lexus, was, was basically no different than the first Lexus I had bought 10 years prior, yeah. except a slightly different body style. It was the same technology. The Tesla, basically, in my opinion, after driving one and, and speaking to others who have driven them, it's not a car. It, it, it's something totally different than what people, than your traditional automobile. And I become a fan and I tell everyone, you need to go drive a Tesla and then let's decide if you want to buy one or not. And it's amazing how many people have bought in Teslas after they've ridden in mine or they've taken my advice and they've got in one. They've mm. fallen in love. It's mm. a pretty incredible piece of technology. But that trick thing here of letting you take it home and get all excited and then go to sleep and wake up and go, Hmm, that was awesome. But was it all a dream? But the whole point yeah. is, instead of just getting lost in the next day, like if you'd just been for a test drive, well, you have to take it back. So 10 hours after the first lot of driving, you get that second reminder of how amazing it is on the way to taking it back to the dealership. And I would love to know simply 
by understanding the psychology of customers better. One good experience is one thing, but one good experience followed by a sleep and then a repetition of that same good experience and you're returning the car to the dealership having had a second good experience, you're on the path to repetition of this is awesome and look at the difference. You could order it online. You could deal with the salespeople if you wanted. You didn't have to necessarily. You don't have to work out what to do with your old car. Everything about this experience is designed to make it easy and enjoyable and you know, more addictive because you get the second chance to drive the car. Like Again, as, people, as smart as people think Elon Musk is in terms of the technology, think about the people he's got around him to set up the model this way. You know, the, the people around him who'd got the marketing ideas right, who understood the human psychology, who understood the audience are as capable as the technical people. Absolutely. You're absolutely correct. The people that Elon Musk has around him, for him to understand the audience the way he does, absolutely brilliant. Hmm. And, you know, listeners, again, we're not really a car show, but I hope you can get the point here. We're not talking about a car. We're talking about a car that pushes all the right buttons because Tesla made sure they understand their audience. And it's something that, Anyone in business, anyone in activism, anyone in politics can do a better job of if you want to, or you can continue to be like the old model, the sort of you know pre-2005 model. I, I probably think the magic year is about 2012, the same year that students changed at university. You know, once everyone had a smartphone, that's fundamentally where the world was altered forever. So from 2012 onwards in a developed country, fundamentally humans are different. Humans take responsibility for doing their own research. Humans would rather look down at their screen than have to interact with a stranger and ask questions about things they don't know. You know, if you want to get to this new version of human, this post-2012 person, you need to be working out what they need, what they want, and telling them exactly that. You can have all the technical information after. You can have all the other things that the offers about your product after. But if you can't capture them in the first 30 seconds on the page by answering their question in a way that's specific to their experience, they'll just bounce to the next website, the next social media post, and you will lose them and you will lose them forever. And look at all the other companies now that are trying to make electric cars and aren't doing anywhere near as well as Tesla because they're still using the same crappy old automotive industry model. Absolutely. And if you want other examples of companies that really took the time to understand their customer, like what Amazon has done to the retail industry, Look what Uber and Lyft are doing to the taxi cab industry, you know, Airbnb to the hotel industry. Mm. There are organ there are companies that have popped up that really what they've done, they've just improved on the customer experience. Mm. And they've improved the customer experience by knowing more about their customer. So if you think about your industry, are you waiting for someone to come around to disrupt you? Or are you going to dive in, know more about your customer, so this way you can be the one doing the disrupting? Mm. It's incredible to think that at a minimum we are 10 years at a minimum into this new era. And yet it seems to me that the majority of companies still don't really get it. Products don't need to change very much, 
but how people access those products and interact with companies. If that doesn't change now, if you don't improve how you do that, your risk of losing market share or people just losing interest because you're no longer communicating with them in a way that is relevant to how they want to interact with the world. You know, it's either change now or start looking an awful lot like a dinosaur. Absolutely. Now, we're probably pretty close to using our time up and I tend to do a standard thing at the end and we can you know, edit the question differently. But what I always ask at the end, is there any question you wish I had asked you? Any question? No, you did a masterful job. You nailed it. I can't think of a question that I wish you had asked me. Okay. We understood our audience. Well, <laughs> yeah, we've only got about three Absolutely. personas, which makes life a bit easier. Yeah, very true. Yeah, very true. All right. Well, thank you very much, Stormy Andrews. Uh, it's been an incredible pleasure to, to talk with you today. Same here. I enjoyed my time. And uh, hopefully there's at least one person in the audience who says, I, this information rocked my world and it changed me. I'm going to go learn more. And if that's you, do it and do it now. Now, listeners, we will put a link to Stormy's company's website in the show notes. We'll put the link in, say, for the audiobook version, saying that's how I normally consume things. So if you're interested, just look in the show notes and you'll have everything you need to learn more. Uh, and if you have any questions uh, about any of this stuff, just get in touch with Tim or I because, again, we can always come back and revisit this stuff because now I've dived down this rabbit hole. I kind of realized this is probably what I'm going to spend half my time doing in my new communications career is making people realize, you know, guys, your problem is not your product. Your problem is you don't understand your audience. Mm. Well, thank you, David. Absolutely. Thank you, gentlemen, and thank you, listeners. Hello, audience. Thank you for listening to Blind Insights. If you're enjoying the show, please remember to subscribe and share your favorite episodes or leave a review if you really love us. We'd love to hear from you. Get in contact with us on Facebook or Twitter at Blind Insights, or you can send us a recorded question to the email in the description to feature on an episode. And also, don't forget, we have merchandise. Thank you to the Oscast Network. Peace out.